God is good, and all the time, and I hope you had a great week this week. As uh, Pastor Nathan already mentioned, uh, we had an opportunity to go to Wyoming, and so uh, how many of you have never been to Wyoming? Wow, most of you. I had never been to Wyoming until this week either, and, and uh, so it was great to go up there and uh, kind of check out Outfitter Church. It was their first service, and so we got to be there with uh, with Tyler and Ashley, and I think we just have a few pictures. We're going to just kind of scroll through so you can kind of get a little idea of where they meet. They, they meet in an old hangar, and so this hangar was uh, a World War II training facility, and uh, so they get to meet in this really cool, uh, really cool environment, and the only time they can rent the facility is on Wednesday night, and so they have Wednesday night church, and it was their first church service. They had Almost 50 in attendance that day, and uh, and so never, from what our understanding is, never in the state of Wyoming has any church ever launched with 50 people, and so they almost broke whatever record that is. And so uh, God has been good to them. And you know, as, as Nathan was talking about Tyler's story, and Tyler uh, got saved here as a student at Hallmark, and I started kind of thinking about. These students over here, who knows what God is going to do with these students in the next 10 years. Uh, just, I mean, just think about it. 10 years ago, he was sitting right there in that section. God got a hold of his heart, and now he's planting a church in Bar None, Wyoming. And so uh, I just want to say thank you to you as a church and your generosity. Um, you know, we got uh, about a month ago when they, honestly, this church plant was supposed to, it wasn't supposed to start till almost Easter but God just kept working and sending people, so they decided, let's, let's start it now. And so about a month ago, we helped them. We sent $5,000 uh, to help them buy some of their sound equipment, all the materials and stuff they needed uh, to launch their church. And so uh, I just want to say on behalf of, uh, of the church, thank you for your generosity. Because you are faithful to give and because many of you give above your tithes and your offerings to missions, we can just help somebody like that out. And, and as, as Nathan already pointed, our, our goal as a church is to make disciples who make disciples, but that doesn't stop in Fort Worth, does it? And, and our church has been known all over the world uh, in starting churches in all kinds of places. And the truth is, in America, we need to start more churches here uh, because there's a lot of people who don't know Jesus. And so I'm thankful for a student who said over here 10 years ago and said, you know, God, whatever you want for my life, I'm going to do it. And Tyler said this statement to, so if, if you don't know, Pastor uh, Matt, our administrative pastor here at church, used to be the youth pastor. And so he had Tyler in his youth group. And so I think Tyler is probably the reason he decided to get out of youth ministry. Uh, but Matt discipled him. And that night when, when we were there this past Wednesday night to start that, help start that church, Tyler said, Matt, would you ever thought 10 years ago as I was sitting in your youth department, that you'd be here and me launching a church. And I was like, no, never, never would have imagined. So who knows what student is sitting there who may start a church in 10 years? Who knows what student is sitting there may uh, push me out of the way and be the next pastor of this church? Wouldn't that be awesome? And God can do that. God can do that through, through us. And so, hey, I'm excited for you to be here. My name's John. I'm blessed to be the pastor here. And if you're, if you're new here to Hallmark and my wife and I haven't had a chance to meet you, we would love to meet you after church. And we'll be right out here in the foyer. I would love to greet you. We have a gift for you. We just want to say thank you for visiting with us today. And you are a part of our second week of this series called 
the vow. And I'm qualified to teach on marriage because I am the best husband and father ever. <clears throat> right, Joy? Yeah. It's the best one she's ever had. So <laughs> that's a true statement. And hopefully the only one she'll ever have, right? And so uh, when we think about marriage, we, we talked uh, really to two groups in the room last, last week, and I, and I hope we'll do the same this morning, those who are married and those maybe who are preparing uh, to be married. And we, we talked about the vow for singles last week, and we made this, this vow, and, and we had the, the singles who were in the room, you know, sign their bullets, and I will seek the one while I prepare for my two. In other words, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek and I'm going to pursue God while I'm preparing for my number two. And it, it'll make sense as we talk about for couples what the vow was. The vow for couples was that God will be my one or my first priority and my spouse will be my two or my second priority. And so when we think about marriage, marriage is, is just tough, isn't it? And for some of you, probably really tough. And like I said last week, for my wife, probably really, really tough. I'm going to be completely honest with you this morning. Um, I'm really blessed because uh, my wife is amazing, and I had it pretty easy. Uh, uh, and I'm going to say probably easy compared to a lot of you, and you guys can interpret it however you want. But I'm blessed to have a great wife who loves the Lord and who follows the Lord. And, uh, and I'm, I'm the difficult one in our marriage. Can we all say amen to that? I figured you guys would be more apt to do that really quickly. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going we're gonna to read the same verses of Scripture we read last week. As um, in, in his book, Jimmy Evans' book, he wrote a book called Marriage on the Rock. And that's where a lot of this information is coming from. Uh, Craig Rochelle at Life Church also kind of reworked that book and, and taught a series on that as well. And that's kind of where our information is coming from. But in Matthew chapter 7 is really where we kind of get this foundation not just for marriage, but for life in, in general, and, and, and to how we as followers of Jesus can live more like Jesus. And, and so Jesus is not specifically talking about marriage in, this, in these verses of Scripture, but I think the application is in all areas of our life. And if I'm, going to, if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, then I, I've got to have my foundation right. If, if my marriage is going to be the marriage that I, I think is going to honor God, then the foundation has to be right. And, and if I'm going to be the employee that I'm supposed to be, then the foundation has got to be right. So in every aspect of my life, if my foundation is not correct, then the rest of it doesn't really have a chance. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus says this, Therefore, whoever, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be likened to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended. The floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and fell, and great was its fall. And, and so Jesus is saying here, if you will listen to my teachings, you will apply these teachings to, my, to your life. And what he's saying is you will build your foundation on the rock. The rock is speaking here is Jesus. And so Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the rock. And so he says, if you're wise, you're going to listen to 
And when the storm comes, the storms of life, and, and um, I hate to use that term to define marriage sometimes, but marriage sometimes could be defined as a storm, right? And storms come at us, and storms come in our home, and our family, and our kids. And, and, and if we, our foundation is not on Jesus, what Jesus is saying here is that our house is going to crumble. And I'm going to be honest, last week I, I asked this question, I said, um, how many of you remember the song, you know, the wise man built his house upon the rock? How many of you guys remember that song? You remember last week I said, do you guys want to sing that? And I felt like there was a lot of you want to sing it, and I was not interested at all in singing that. And I, I honestly went home a little sad that I let you down. So I, would you guys like to sing that? This, this, we're not going to sing all of it, okay? I just want to sing the part where we get to say, what is it? Splat. You guys remember that? Can you do it sitting down or do we need to stand up? Y'all are just lazy. All right, sit down. Okay, so how many of you don't know this song? Okay, well, you're going to learn a new song today, part of a new song today, okay? Uh, okay, so what we're, what we're seeing here is the, what we just read about, the foolish man, right? Build his house on the sand. The, the first verse is the wise man who built his house on the rock. And, and when the rains came down, the floods come up, it says that one, the house stood what do you do? Firm is what I always do, right? Okay. But we're not going to do that because I don't want to sing that long, just to be honest with you, all right? Are, are you guys ready? So it goes like this. The rains go down and the floods come up. You guys, can you guys do that? We're not going to do jazz hands, but we're just going to have our hands up here, all right? Okay. Ready? The rains came down and the floods came up. You guys are good. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the sand went Wow, you guys are good. Give yourself a hand this morning, all right? I, I want to say that last, that last phrase again. And the house on the sand went what? Unfortunately, that depicts 50% of marriages today. Amen. And so if we're going to apply Scripture like we should to our life, would it be safe to say then the reason that 50% of marriages end in divorce is because they haven't built their marriage on the foundation of Christ. Amen. Because the principle Jesus is teaching is that if I will build my house and my home and my marriage and my life and my work and every aspect of my life, if, as we learned last week, if God is the number one priority, when the storm comes, I'm going to stand firm and I'm not going to splat. And so the, the truth is, we, I mean, when you get into, say, let's get into marriage counseling and all these ideas and all these thoughts, and there's a lot of great thoughts and a lot of great ideas out there, but, but really it hinges on this. If, if Jesus is not the foundation of your life, then Jesus is not the foundation of your marriage. And so it's a personal thing that I must make a decision that I, my life is going to be founded on the rock, Jesus Christ, that Jesus is going to be my number one priority. We talked about uh, last week about the priorities, right? And, and so I even received, I'm not going to tell you who it was, but I received a video this week of two kids who are right here seated in this auditorium this morning griping at me, okay, in, in, in jest, all right, but griping at me, hey, I should be higher priority than my mom or my dad. You guys remember what I said? All right, we're going to have a refresher. God should be my number one priority. Amen. All right, and as a married person, 
my wife is, is number two. And as a father, my kids are number three. Okay, not, not reversed, okay? Then it's going to be my work, and then it's going to be church. And we could go on the list, like my hobbies, number six. In, in our culture today, here's, and I'm not going to go through all six of these, but here's what I see in our culture today, that most homes, for the man, number one priority, work. And honestly, for most men, number two priority, hobby. And then probably kids. And for most women, and again, this is my observation, that number one priority is kids, and then probably work. And then who knows, right? The rest of it. Listen, if, if we hope to have a successful marriage, God has to be the number one priority, and our spouse has to be number two. Sorry, kids, for those of you in here, you are number three, all right? I know it feels so hurtful for you that you're third in line, but, but parents, let me just tell you this. The best gift you can give your kids is that you love your spouse and that they know that and that you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. So today, our vow, we're going to talk about partnership. And again, this is, this is a second because we really can't, we can't have a great partnership if our priorities are out of line. We have our priorities in order, and then we can have a partnership. So vow number two, it's on the top of your bulletin this morning. It says this, I promise our marriage will be about we and not me. Oh, that hurts, doesn't it? I promise our marriage is going to be about we and not me. And unfortunately, for most of us, let's just be real in the room this morning, we are all selfish people. How many of you would at least admit this morning that you have a tendency to be selfish, okay? At least you're being honest, right? We, that, that's just by nature who we are. Our sin nature is we think about me, myself, and I. It's about us. And so as we, as we think about this morning, marriage often is referred to as, as tying the knots. Okay, so I want you to think about this question, especially for those of you who are married this morning. We think about tying the knot of our marriage. Is your marriage right now, would it be defined as untied or united? We're talking about partnership. Right now in your marriage, would you consider your marriage to be untied or united? So that's the question I want you to think through as we go through this uh, this morning. And we all know this morning that, that Satan is attacking the home. Sa- Satan is attacking marriage. And in fact, in, in our current context, uh, Satan is even trying to get us to redefine what marriage even means or what marriage even is and who marriage consists of. And, and so let me just be really clear this morning. This, this is, I'm just going to read a statement out of uh, our current uh, bylaws and constitution, what marriage is defined as. Marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant commitments for a lifetime. It's God's unique gift to reveal the union between Christ and his church and to provide for the man and the woman in marriage the framework for intimate companionship or partnership. All right, so turn with me to to Genesis chapter 2. And what that statement is saying as you turn there is, and what we're going to read in Scripture is, we believe what God teaches in his word is that marriage is to be between one man and one woman for a lifetime. It's not just a contract, it's a covenant. It's till death do us part. In Genesis chapter number 2, 
And we're going to begin reading in verse number uh, 15. Genesis 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden and to tend and keep it. Verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. And understand here that the penalty for sin has always been death. Okay? That's why Jesus came to die on the cross for your sins, because the penalty for sin has always been death. All right, go on, verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. And, and all men say amen to that. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now turn, look over to verse number 23. I'm sorry, verse 21. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And thus defining what marriage is. It's one man and one woman, and God intended for a lifetime. Turn with me to Matthew. Go back to Matthew, all right? We were in Matthew 7 earlier. Let's go to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19. And Jesus is going to speak to this exact thing that we just read in in Genesis chapter 2. So God creates Adam and Eve, and he says to them, uh, leave, and what the old King James would say, leave and cleave, all right? That we're going to be one flesh. And and Jesus speaks to that in Matthew chapter 2. 19. And, and the Pharisees come to him. Of course, they're always trying to uh, catch him in some false teaching. And so they're again trying to catch Jesus. And, and what do they say? Matthew 19, verse 3. The Pharisees also came to him saying, came to Jesus saying, and they were testing him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And, and understand, we won't get a lot of time to talk about this this morning, but that's, they're referring to what Moses said. Moses had really said that if there is an affair, then you can give a right of divorce. Okay, that's not really what God wanted to happen. That's what Moses allowed to happen. But here the Pharisees are saying, is it right that we can uh, divorce for any reason? That's not at all what Moses is saying, that's, but that's what they're implying. Here's what Jesus said to them, verse number four. And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said... For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are, uh, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Or if you remember what the, the pastor used to say in marriage, let no one put asunder, right? That's the old King James version of that. Let no one put asunder. And so here we understand what God intended marriage to be. One man, one woman for a lifetime. Living in a covenant relationship. Now, I want to be careful to, un- to point out this morning, you know, at Hallmark, one of our core values, one of our pillars is that we want to be, we want to unapologetically preach the Bible. Amen. And the truth is, the Bible can, can be offensive, right? The gospel is offensive. What does the gospel teach us? That we are born sinners, and because of our sin, we're separated from our holy, righteous creator, 
God. And in order to have a relationship with him, we must place our faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, he's the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And so what Jesus is saying, if you don't come to God through Jesus, placing your faith in him, you will spend an eternity in a place called hell. That's offensive. Is it not offensive? It's very offensive. You either follow Jesus and go to heaven, or you choose not to follow Jesus and you go to hell. That's offensive. And so we want to shy away from the truth of the gospel, but we want to, what Jesus said, speak the truth in love. And we're always going to point as a church to what God's standard is. God's standard is one man with one woman for a lifetime. But we also want you to understand that sometimes life just happens, doesn't it? And does anyone in the room this morning want to claim to be perfect? Anybody? All right. Nobody. That's what I thought. Here's what I want you to understand as we teach what the standard of God is for marriage is that I know that some of you in here have a past. And here's what I want you to understand that Hallmark wants to be a place of grace because Jesus gives grace. Hallmark wants to be a place of forgiveness because Jesus offers forgiveness. Hallmark wants to be a place of second chances because God gives me second chance after second chance after second chance. So we're always going to point to the standard, but we're also going to let you understand maybe you have a divorce in your past. And and can I just tell you, God can forgive you. God can heal you. And more than that, God can still use you. God can still bless you. In fact, I, I got a message this week, and, and I think it was last Sunday afternoon, from someone. And, and this was the message. It was, thank you, Pastor, for the message this morning. I, I, I'm in my second marriage, and I, my first marriage, I didn't do it right. And I'm trying to do it right this time. So I appreciate you speaking on this. Isn't, isn't that a great ownership of, of their responsibility to that? And so we think about looking towards Grace, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, when we think about our vows, let, let me just read these for you. you. You guys remember those. I'm curious this morning, how many of you have been married more than 50 years? Raise your hand. More than 50 years. Look, look around, right? So if you have uh, a question on how to survive 50 years, you might ask, how, how about more than 60 years? Okay. Wow. Yeah, give them a hand. That's pretty awesome. How about any, anybody more than 65 years? All right, we got the Milligans in the back. Anyone else? More than 65 years. Isn't that pretty amazing? Yeah, give them a hand. That's awesome. Here's, here's the vows that I made. I, I, John Haley, take the joy, and I don't remember if I said Joy Daniel Haley, or I don't know how it goes at that time, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and health, Till what? Till death do us part. That's a covenant. Last week, I, I freaked some of you out by, by tearing up what you thought was my, uh, my marriage license. And if you thought my, mom, my wife was going to trust me with my marriage license, you were crazy. Uh, but what I said last week was this, li- this just a piece of paper, other than the fact that it represents something. It represents a covenant that I made to my wife and a covenant that she made to me. And that covenant was made to witnesses, before witnesses, to who? God. I made a covenant. 
not a contract. Now, I understand legally it's a contract, but listen to the, listen to the difference between a, as we walk through this, a covenant and a contract. A, a, a covenant agreement or covenant language is this, till death do us part, for better or worse, in sickness and health, rich or poor. Now, if, if it was a, just a contract, the language may change a little bit. And it may say, uh, use a lot of words like if. I'm committed if, fill in the blanks. I'll be committed when. If you live up to what I want you to do, then I'm going to stay committed into this contract. Now, I wonder how you view marriage, your marriage. Covenant, till death do us part, or contract, if you live up to my expectations. And I'm going to be really honest with you. One of the reasons I think in our culture it has been very, it's just prevalent, divorce is prevalent, is because I think going into marriage, oftentimes we have viewed it as a contract, not a covenant. And, and, and how that plays out a lot of times is you will see a lot of people, especially right now, and, and, and it's been trending, I guess, is that a lot of people decide they're going to do married people things before they're married. Whether that's living together, sleeping together, everything else together. And what they do is they move in together, let's see if it works. That person doesn't live up to their contractual agreement. No harm, no foul, grab my stuff and go. And they may do this multiple times. And you know what they're actually doing? Practicing divorce. And so when they make the decision to finally get married, what have they trained themselves to do? If that person doesn't live up to the contract, if they don't meet my needs, then I'm out. I've already done this three or four times. You see, there's a reason that God gives us clear instructions on how to live and how not to live. And that's why, you know, I, I told you students last week, I'm, I, and again, it's just a warning. You're not going to find in Scripture, thou shalt not date. Okay? I just think it's wise not to. Okay? Because... Again, let's back up even a little more. I get into serious relations, the 14, 15, and 16, oh, I'm so in love, and then it doesn't work out. And what am I now practicing? Divorce. Because my emotions are tied to that person, and I've given them of myself. That's what Scripture talks about when we become one flesh. And so I'm just warning all of us in here, if we don't do it God's way, well, for one, it's just not the right way. And two, it just makes everything more difficult. And, and I think that's one of the biggest reasons we go into marriage as if it's a contract, not a covenant. Here's the reality, though. If my priorities are not where they need to be, then I'm never going to have the partnership that God wants me to have. And, you know, I stand here this morning, and, and trust me, uh, my marriage is not perfect, and the reality, the reason my marriage is not perfect is because I'm not perfect. And you know, Joy and I, to this point, I mean, we're 26 years into marriage now, and most of the time we have a really good partnership. As I said last week, uh, uh, it seems like when we're dating, opposites attract, and when we get married, opposites attack, right? But I'm thankful that, that Joy and I, if you know us very well, you know we are completely different people. 
We have completely different personalities. And the truth is God designed it that way for us because we make a great team. We make a great partnership because I have these great ideas of how we should do things. And then she's like, ah, that ain't going to work, right? She's like, let's think about that a little bit. But our partnership is not going to work like God intended it for it to work if my priorities are out of line. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, uh, a lot, uh, several years back, I mean, it's been a long time ago, the first time that I really was faced with this, uh, when we were doing youth ministry, we, 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 I worked all the time. There was a season in our life where we had two little kids, and you know we have Sunday morning, Sunday night church, Wednesday night church, Monday and Tuesday was upward practice, Thursday was men's basketball league, Friday was upward games, Saturday was upward games. There's not a lot of time in that schedule for partnership, is there? Now, I remember when we were in Colorado at youth camp one year, and man, youth camp is a whole nother ball game, right? It's like 24-7, and I'm going to be completely honest, that was the worst camp of my life. And it was some of your kids, all right? So I'm just going to be honest with you. And I remember one night after church and, you know, just sitting there, standing there actually, and I remember Joy clearly telling me my priorities were not where they needed to be. And I'm thankful she did tell me that. It was kind of a wake-up call. And, and I think for, for a lot of us, because for me in that period of my life, guess who was number one in my priority list? It was work. And, and work was church. A good thing can be a bad thing if it's not in its proper place. God is first. My spouse is second. My kids are third. Work is fourth and church is fifth. And when I get those out of order, my priorities are mixed up, I will not be the husband I'm supposed to be, and our partnership's not going to work. It's just not going to work. Turn with me to Ephesians, okay? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And as you're turning there, let, let me just fill in these blanks for you, okay? Because uh, I know some of you will be frustrated if I don't. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. A contract is based on mutual distrust. Okay, that's why you have a contract, because you don't believe the person's going to live up to what the agreement. So you have a contract, so both of you, both parties have an out when the other person doesn't do what you want them to do. And we've carried this mindset into our marriage, that this idea of a contract. When you don't live up to my standards, my expectations, what I hoped you would do, then I'm going to get out of the contract. And so contracts are, the reason we have contracts is because we mutually distrust one another. Remember, you know, years ago, I, I, I don't remember this, they used to tell me this, or at least it was on the movies, when you shook a man's hand, that was enough, right? It's no longer that way, is it? That's why, you know, when you bought your cell phone, you had 30 pages of contracts that I know you didn't read, and you just scrolled to the bottom and said, I agree to the terms of this contract, right? You guys did that. Why do we have contracts? Because we mutually distrust each other. A covenant, though, is based on mutual commitment. You guys remember in marriage, uh, I don't ever remember saying this, but I remember hearing this in marriage ceremonies when they used to say, and all my earthly goods I, that, I now thee endow. I couldn't even say it. Do you guys remember hearing that? I used to crack up because I liked it because the men always said it first. So the man gave everything to the wife, and the wife turned around and said, all my earthly goods I thee endow. So, like, we got it all back. I think that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> Isn't that the way it was working? Maybe. It's a mutual commitment. So I said to my wife, in sickness and health, 
the richer or poor, till what? Death do us part. And it was not a one-way commitment. Thankfully, she said the words back to me. And this is mutual commitment that in the good and in the bad, when I feel like I'm in love and when I don't feel like I'm in love. You've been married 65 years. There's days I'm sure Carol did not feel in love with Bob back there. Maybe a lot of days, right? So the problem in a lot of our marriages is that our marriages are based on our feelings instead of a covenant that we made. It's a mutual commitment. A contract is based on me. How you make me feel, how you serve me, what you do for me, my expectations. It's me, me, me. It's I-centered. A covenant is based on we. It's a partnership. All right, so here's the mantra of a contractual relationship. Okay, you adjust to me. You adjust to me. Now, just, I mean, you can just kind of quickly think through that, how that's going to work in a marriage. Right? Two people get married, two people who are selfish, and two people with a mindset of, okay, it's time for you to adjust to me now. And, and no wonder there's friction and tension and separation. Amen. A covenant is based on we. Now, the mantra of a, con- uh, a covenantal relationship, we adjust to God together. We adjust to God together. Again, it's a partnership I'm thankful for Joy and all the years that we've been in ministry that our ministry has been a partnership. She's been just involved in ministry as I've been involved in ministry. And it's been us daily adjusting to God together. Adjusting to God together. So kind of the key thought here. A covenant partnership is summarized with godly leadership and mutual submission. Godly leadership and mutual submission. Now, Ephesians chapter 5, if you've already turned there. Look at verse 21, Ephesians 5, 21. Paul says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Marriage is about mutual submission. Men like to, to, to skip verse 21 and go to verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the, house, of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And, and how quickly men are memorize verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands. And how quickly men choose not to go to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. A few years ago, um, when I was in Kansas, I was meeting with this couple and uh, talking about their marriage, and it was not healthy at the time. And, and I'll just be completely honest. I knew the issues, and, and he was all the issues, okay? And here he sits there, uh, who's not really a committed Christian, and he, he, he basically quotes this verse of Scripture. Well, she would just submit to me. That's what the, isn't that what the Bible says? That was basically his smart aleck remark. I, I really wanted to punch that guy. And I wanted to punch him so bad that I, I told him off right there. And, and this is what I said. I told him, they, well, you're not worthy to submit to. And if I was married to you, I wouldn't submit to you either because you don't act like a man and you don't take care of you. I mean, I just went on and on and on. I was trying to pick a fight with him. I really wanted to fight. Can I get an amen to that? He was just a punk. 
And he was being a punk to his wife and then smart off to me. And I was like, no, I'm done with this. And he stood up real quick. And I stood up real quick. And he took off out the door. And I, yeah, it was a smart move. Listen, marriage is mutual submission. But look at the key word in, in that godly leadership. Men, listen real quickly this morning. The problem in a lot of marriages is that we as men don't lead our homes to know and follow God. If, if I'm right, what I see in culture is that men, their priorities are work and hobbies. Then what is your wife supposed to be submitting to? If God is not the number one priority in your life, if God is not first in your life, then you're not worthy to submit to. And that's the case. Go back to Genesis chapter 3, right? That's why sin entered in, because Adam was passive. What we read earlier, before God created in in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, when God created Adam, God gave him the rule. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and if you do, you shall surely die. And then he created Eve. It was Adam's responsibility to keep Eve from being deceived. And after Eve grabs the fruit, the scripture says that she handed the fruit to Adam, who was with him. Adam stood there passively, and he didn't protect his wife, and he didn't lead his wife. And unfortunately, in a lot of our marriages, that's exactly what's happening. Men, we are not leading our home spiritually. We have become passive, and we let our wife do that. And shame on us for that. We are to love. Look at verse 25 again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That means you are selfless. You are going to serve your wife, not yourself. It's we, not me. I asked you the question this morning before we started. Would you define your marriage as united or untied? And what's the difference between the two words? It's all about where the eye is. If the eye is in the right place, then your marriage is united. If I am in the wrong place, then we're untied. We all have a personal responsibility, don't we? If God is not the number one priority, then our partnership is not going to be what God intended to be. Would you close your eyes for a moment this morning? So let's do some self-examination this morning. How am I doing in my marriage? How am I doing as a single person preparing for marriage? Is God my priority? Am I pursuing God with everything I have? And this morning, the invitation, the response this morning is very simple. If God is not in his proper place, men, if you're acknowledged this morning that you're not leading your home like you should, then maybe you need to come forward this morning at the altar and just say, God, 
I'm going to put you in your proper place. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to follow you so that I can be the partner you've intended me to be. And maybe this morning as you need to grab your wife and you need to bring her down here and you need to repent and you need to tell her, listen, I'm sorry, my priorities are not where they need to be. And I confess that to you and I confess that to the Lord and I'm going to do better. Will you help me put God first in our marriage? God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity this morning just to worship you. Help us, Lord, in our marriages, in our singleness, that you would be the first priority. Lord, I pray in our church that we would have marriages that are strong, marriages of couples who are partnering together to serve you, to follow you. Lord, I pray this morning that those who need to to have a conversation with you, with their spouse, that they would do it right now. It's in the powerful and precious name of Jesus that we pray. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. We're going to have a time of response, and, and I'm just encouraging this morning. If God has spoke to you, come down and see God. Put God in his rightful place.